You're listening to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and I'd like to welcome you back for what I think is going to be a, uh, a string of episodes, another mini-series, sort of like we did with Bon Appetit. This time, we're going inside the world of Hasbro, the toy company. You know them. They're the ones behind Monopoly and Scrabble and toys like Transformers. We thought it would be enjoyable and a little bit whimsical to basically do a theme on playtime, to learn about the people who were responsible for you know, selling these board games and designing these card games and designing little action figures that you played with as a kid or your kids play with today. Specifically, in this interview, I'm going to be speaking with John Wharton and Lindsay Bernier. John is the senior design manager for Transformers. As in, you know, Autobots and Decepticons, the giant space robots that transform into cars and then into, like, dueling knights with swords that there's a gajillion-dollar movie franchise attached to, thanks to Michael Bay. I'm also going to be talking with Lindsay Bernier, who is the Transformers senior project engineer. John is sort of the Imagineer of, of this pair. He's the guy who kind of thinks about new toy designs and, and kind of conceives of them. Lindsay is the logistics pro. She's the person who is kind of the industrial engineer responsible for figuring out how the hell they're going to make these things and how much that's going to cost. And those two processes, it turns out, are very intimately linked in the toy world. And I thought it would be interesting for you to learn about how these two people work together because this is a show called Working, and we learn about how people work, or in this case, how they work hard at play. Enjoy. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval, terms apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What are your names and what do you do? My name is Lindsay Bernier. I'm a senior project engineer at Hasbro, working on Transformers and also Beyblade. And uh, I'm John Warden, senior design manager at Hasbro. I work on brands like Transformers and Beyblade also. <laughs> Uh, so you guys, you're the ones who think up and design and, and make the toys. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's really a big team effort to be truthful, but, but yeah, we're, we're the, we're the toy makers, I guess. We're the magic makers. Yeah, <laughs> you're the elves. Sort of. Yeah. Sometimes we feel more like elves than other days. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah but it's, we're definitely, we're definitely ones that I like to think we're the ones that have the most fun for sure. I mean, and to put a little context around that too, John, you know, is a lot of the creative side and, and coming up with the really cool concepts and the stories of, you know, why this Transformer or why this story that we're going to do this year. And then he kind of hands it over to me and I kind of execute it and, and really make it come to life in a, in a real physical way. So that's the difference between the design manager and the project engineer. Correct. Yep. Yeah, it's it's true. The the design manager, I I work with a team of designers and and together we, you know, we're we're a weird 
ragtag bunch of people that, that, you know, come from all different kind of walks of the industry. There's artist types, there's model makers, there's, you know, prop makers, storytellers, and they all, they're all kind of coming together into this umbrella of product design. It's very much like artists who, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're industrial designers and we have to kind of bring our products to life. Typically, the, the creative cycle starts with a, a good idea and we try to think about what type of transformer we want to do or what character it is that we want to do. And we get it to a certain point. We work with a global team, including our partners at Takara Tomy, which are a, another company that helps us in lots of ways. But the big way on transformers is they, they help us to figure out how the transformers transform, which is, you know, kind of a really important part of it. And then when we get to a certain point and, and, the design manager piece of it, we kind of, I wouldn't say we hand it off, but we we pass the torch to the engineering group and the engineering group kind of um, takes it home, figures out yeah. how it's made, right? Yeah. And it's kind of like a, a switch in the lead, right? You know, when John's coming up with a concept or, or what toy he wants to work on, he's kind of checking with engineering to make sure we can afford it and it makes sense. We can manufacture it. But once it's kind of in a great place where we think it looks awesome, then it kind of lead gets switched over to engineering and we have to make it come to life. And, you know, we work with our partners over in China and Japan, um, Hong Kong, Vietnam, kind of all overseas. But they, they help us in the factories, making this really come to be what we need it to be. John, you described everyone as sort of a ragtag bunch, a, a motley crew of artists and model makers and such. How did you get into toy making, into toy design? <laughs> you know, it's kind of a funny story. I always wanted to be a toy designer when I was a little kid. And it's one of those things I think it's very normal. I think uh, uh, I would say on average, more boys and girls want to be uh, toy designers or paleontologists or something like that when they're a little kid. But I never really gave up on that. And uh, my father was an industrial designer. He ended up actually becoming an art teacher. And uh, he kind of showed me a lot about the design process when I was a kid. I ended up doing a school project with an Ohio company, as I, I grew up in Ohio. And it, it was a company that made uh, mad balls, which are like these little foam balls, these little crazy little characters. And um, I wrote a letter to the president of the company, and, and he wrote me back and invited me in and let me meet the entire design staff. And, and at that point, I, I knew that it was a real job, and it was really, really cool. So I went, I went to school for industrial design. My first job in the industry was was not toy design, actually. It was, I was in the automotive industry. And I really quickly found out that things happen very, very differently in your head than in reality in the automotive industry. Like there's, you know, a lot of people that work on very small pieces of a car. So I was doing like the carpet on the ceiling and the cup holders and stuff like that. And it was, you know, lots of super nice people I was working with. But I'm like, you know, I, I really can't do this my whole life. And doing uh, a whole career working on cup holders. That sounds that sounds tough. <laughs> yeah, a, you can you can only imagine. That's not the kind of thing you want to wake up and like drive, you know, drive along in Detroit and you're just like, all right, I'm going to go do cup holders. You know, I, and then I wanted to chase my dream. At the time I had a, you know, an infant son and I would moonlight with my son on my lap and I would sketch up like stuff for my portfolio, just trying to make it work. And um, I was applying to companies and luckily I was able to uh, land a job in a small place in Ohio that did like backyard slides and things like that. Like, like those giant roto molded things you see in everybody's yards. So I did that for a short a period of time. And then I got, cause it was just like an internship kind of thing, but I still got my foot in the door. I, I was in the industry at this point and I was still sending out resumes, but in to make ends meet, I was working at a big chain, like a restaurant chain where you had to wear flair 
because <laughs> this was what, what is flair so this is i'm aging myself right now but in the in the 90s there was a restaurant chain popular restaurant chain that part of the outfit was you wore suspenders they were red these bright red suspenders and you had like this really bright shirt and you were supposed to wear flair on the suspenders so you it was like you know, just like a, a collection of weird riffraff kind of stuff you'd stick to yourself like a bunch of okay. buttons and pins and stuff like that i had a little army man t uh, on my shoulder and uh what was funny is it was you know working at a restaurant's really hard and it's like you 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 work long hours and when you do you do tear down and you know when you're closing there's just so much work you know and and it's it's a lot of social interaction i learned a lot from it but the whole time i was doing this i'm trying to get my portfolio together i finally got a call back from the hr rep at hasbro and i was so stoked i was like freaking out <laughs> and because she said you know we want you want you to come in for a second interview with the star wars team and i was like oh my god star wars do star wars figures so you know i they flew me out i got to the interview the interview went great i met with mark boudreau who's the creator of the millennium falcon uh all these like total epic heroes of my childhood and they're the people i was interviewing with you know a couple weeks later they gave me a call they they made me an offer and i remember to this day I tell the story all the time <laughs> that I got that call and it was the middle of winter. The snow was falling outside and I, you know, I was barely making ends meet. And I got this call saying like, they're going to hire me. They told me my salary over the phone. And I was so excited that I like literally like politely said, thank you, put the phone down. And I ran outside like Rocky and the snow just pumped my fists and the <laughs> snow with no shirt on. And uh, it, I don't even think I had shoes on. And I was just, it was uh, from that point forward, it was, I, you know, being a toy designer, uh, that was my life. That was 20 years ago. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've had a chance to do so many things here at Hasbro. I worked on Star Wars, Pokemon in the 2000s. I worked on G.I. Joe for years and years. And now I work on Transformers and Beyblade. What a ride, right? <laughs> Lindsay, w did you have like a similarly circuitous route to, to toy design or, or was it another path for you? Uh, it was actually a little different. <laughs> I didn't know toy engineering was a thing. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Going to school, you know, I have a degree in mechanical engineering, so you're traditionally taught very technical background, you know. You're going to work on, you know, buildings or, or planes or, or something very mechanical and very technical. And I thought for sure I'm going to get into aerospace. I love, you know, fluids. I love understanding how, you know, planes get up in the air and being a part of how that works, you know. And it's funny, I, I started going down that route. But I got into 3D modeling first and started working at SolidWorks, um, actually here in Massachusetts, interned a little bit there, got my foot in the door, thought I was going to, you know, go into 3D modeling, which is very, you know, a much a part of the technical background I was um, used to. And then uh, a friend of mine was working here and she said, oh, we have an opening toy engineering. You know, it's a thing here. <laughs> you can do that. I was like, what? This is pretty crazy. And, you know, and they use SolidWorks, which is, you know, the company I worked at at the time, uh, 3D modeling software. I was like, oh, that's great. You know, I have this background. Hopefully I can get it. And I actually got in the door, you know, temping for a little bit. It was an engineering position was, was pretty tough to get here. As John's explaining design was, you know, it was like a pretty big deal to, to get in and work here. So I got in temped for a little bit in some reporting. And then um, a couple openings happened in the engineering world. And I started on Transformers. And that was that was six years ago. And, you know, I always say I thought I was going to get into planes and designing planes. And now I do, but they just turn into robots, which is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
How did you learn about toy manufacturing? Well, in school, you definitely learn plastics manufacturing as part of your courses. You at the time, I didn't know what I would be using it for. Um, so, you know, I, I know I understand the material science background of which plastics to use where, you know, how durable some are, which ones you can and can't paint. As I got into this job, you know, I learned pretty quickly with a lot of the the help I had, the managers to car tell me, the experts, you know, I picked it up very quickly. And, and as long as you understand what a plastic can and can't do or what materials can and can't do, how much they are really, I mean, mechanism design is a lot of what I learned in school as well. So that's really the biggest impact, I think, or, or the most relatable thing, I should say from what I learned in school and how I've brought that over. So how does a mechanism work? You know, we have electronics engineers too. How does this mechanism work with our electronics? And, and I work closely with them. Again, something I, I did heavily in school as well. So it's taking pieces. You know, I obviously learned a lot more, but it's taking probably three different pieces from my technical background into a very specific field that I've now expanded immensely since coming in the door here and, and just continuing to learn. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So the story that everyone hears is that Transformers, the Saturday morning cartoon show, was created essentially to sell toys. Like that was the idea. It existed in order to move little Optimus Prime toys that were selling at, you know, Walmart or wherever. And I'm kind of curious, though, how the process for coming up with a new Transformer or new Transformer toy begins today, given that it's all tied into this huge movie franchise. Where does this process start? Where does the command to start coming up with a toy or a new version of a toy come from? Oh, you know, it's it's interesting. It, back when Transformers started back in 1984, God, it's it's really hard to imagine that it's actually, that's like 35 years ago. It's wild. <laughs> <laughs> so back back then, back when I was a kid, I know this story pretty well, that there were some Hasbro reps that went and they found these toys at a Tokyo toy show. And there were different transforming robots, converting robots that they saw. And they thought those were very innovative ideas. They, but none of them were connected by any kind of story. They brought them back to the United States. And um, they worked with an ad agency and with, I think it's Bob Budiansky at, at Marvel Comics. And sort of a coalition of creative people came up with the idea of Autobots and Decepticons and the, and the planet of Cybertron. And they literally had stickers, foil stickers of the Autobots and Decepticons, and they put them on the products, which is, you know, they were all from just all these disparate opposite toy lines at the time. Um, but most of them were from this, uh, our partner um, company, uh, Takara Tomi. And in a lot of ways, what we do today is very similar. You know, we search for a great idea, but I think because Hasbro is such a story-led company, you know, it's not just Transformers, but, you know, all the different pieces of um, pop culture that, that Hasbro touches, really, we, we rely on story. A lot of the genesis of ideas comes from lots of different places now, you know, w- whether it's a homegrown idea from our studios out in Burbank for like the cartoon show Cyberverse or something like that, or if it's part of the, like the Paramount 
movie franchise. There's partnership is a big piece of it. There was actually for some of the movies, I actually went out to LA and I, I met with the concept artists and I sat there and I was kind of like the toy geek that was in a room full of hotshot painters. And I think the sharing of ideas, I think all kind of comes under the halo of, of the common goal to, to bring to kids this fantastic puzzle. And it should always ladder back up to really what our message is, which is more than meets the eye. And the idea that the car that you see driving down the street could be a transformer. There's that sense of wonder and how we can deliver that to kids. It's, it's kind of really a magical thing. It's awesome. Would you say that ordinarily an idea for a transformer starts off as a concept for an entertainment product, like a movie or, or the show, or it starts off as an idea for a toy specifically? The genesis of the idea of the toy could start either way. I think it depends on what piece of Transformers we're doing. I think for a movie, a lot of times there's there's obviously the replication of a, an exciting scene from the movie. We want to try to get that right in a toy experience or the same thing with a cartoon. But I think a lot of times like Lindsay and I will work together and we'll come up with some crazy madcap new way of transforming something. And it's just an exciting, fun toy. And then, you know, I'll work with an artist to create a, a keyframe that then might make its way into a film. So I think it's, it's an interesting opportunity that we have a chance to kind of come at it from either end. Either we take a creative inspiration from somebody else or we're the genesis of that inspiration in the first place. Lindsay, do you ever sit around kind of thinking like, oh, this would be a cool technical thing we could do with a toy. Let's see if we can make a character that does that. Yeah, I mean, we do definitely, you know, every year we're making toys, right? And we do brainstorms. We sit around with a bunch of, you know, a lot of creative people in a room and we come up with some really great ideas. And a lot of times great ideas come from those meetings and then they're, you know, they look to engineering to say, is this possible? I, f I kind of feel like we're the reality check of, <laughs> of what's doable, right? Because if, you know, marketing and design had their way, our toys would all be doing these amazing, wonderful things. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news sometimes. <laughs> um, but, you know, they have to be affordable and they have to be something we can manufacture. So, you know, we're kind of that voice of reason of what's doable. But we also go into these meetings with like open-ended, any idea, let's think of anything possible. And then we'll try to figure it out later, right? So coming out of those meetings is where we do like the real work of researching. Can we do this? If we can, how much is it? You know, do we think this is realistic? Do we think people are going to buy this? And that's kind of where I get heavily involved. John, are you personally coming up, sitting around saying, okay, this is this is a toy I want to work on? Or are you kind of overseeing a bunch of people who are bringing ideas to you? You know, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm in charge of a, of a team of people. But there's, you know, a lot of times the idea will come just from you know, a weird dream I have or something like that. And then I'll bring it back to the team where one of my team members will come to me and be like, hey, I have this crazy idea. And I don't think that's a little crazy, but why don't you have a model made of it? <laughs> you know, or um, so it's, it's a little bit of both. You know, early in my career, I was certainly the idea guy. I would just, I was the, I was the crazy guy at the party that would come up with the real, real crazy ideas. So they'd invite me to the brainstorms and I would come up with, you know, something insane and, and, you know, work with engineering to make it happen. But as I've progressed in my career, I realized that it's really important to kind of surround yourself with a real diverse group of people that have a bunch of different types of viewpoints. And, you know, whether they're the 2D artists or the 3D artists or the kit bashers or the painters, like you, you kind of need all those people. And sometimes the best ideas come from like a mashup of like two or three crazy ideas. That raises two questions for me, though. Uh, two very important questions. One is, you dream Transformers? Oh, I absolutely do. All the time. 
I just dreamed Transformers just the other night. It was real weird. <laughs> what was the dream? Are you imagining like a Decepticon like battle? What is <laughs> what's happening? You know, I think a lot of times it's like these moment in time, like a shot in my brain that, that, that just it's a, you know, a scene almost like it's two character, two Transformers characters running and then they jump together and they form a larger Transformer or the dream I had the other night was the, a helicopter transforming and just how it was twisting and moving and changing and standing up and what it looked like. And it's weird. It's weird to dream about Transformers, but it's definitely something I do. <laughs> it's definitely weird, but it actually sounds productive. Like that's, which <laughs> might be even weirder about it right now. So that's the first question. And the second question is, what counts as a really crazy idea? You've used that phrase a few times. And I mean... Transformers inherently are a little bit nuts as a concept. So when you say a, a crazy idea, an insane idea, what is that? I think it's with Transformers, it's you're right. So much has been done already that it's it's almost one of those things that you expect it to be crazy out of the out of the gate. So sometimes in Transformers, the craziest ideas are the things that defy expectation. And a lot of times it's defy reason. So you could have a Transformer that transforms into a bear, but that bear also transforms into a airplane. And then I'll think to myself, oh, okay, how would that even work? So you have a bear, a bear plane. <laughs> that turns into a plane that has turned into a robot. You know, when, when a designer comes to me, they I'm like, all right, so I can't see it in my head, but if you can prove to me that it can happen, then I'm on board. And sometimes that proof of concept from a really, really crazy idea, like a man-bear plane, actually ends up banking one of the coolest toys. Is there a man-bear plane? Uh, no, there is not. I think I just came up with that on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I think there, there could be now, you know? <laughs> Lindsay, as, as the, the reality check in, the, in this team, <laughs> what do you think when you hear the phrase man-bear plane? <laughs> uh, I try to be open to all ideas. <laughs> And, you know, what's great about our team is really we say you know, a good idea can come from anywhere. So, like, as John was explaining, it's anyone on his team and even as engineers. Like, if we bring bring a great idea to anyone, you know, design or marketing is really the people we need their buy-off from. Right? They need their approval. If it's a great idea, we run with it. But, you know, if someone brings me some crazy stuff and, uh, again, it's like prove it can work and then we'll go from there, right? And, and it's a matter of being open to everything but also trying to <laughs> understand what's realistic. So I want I want to stick with this concept. Let's say let's say you have you decide, hey, man, bear plane sounds like I don't know <laughs> who we're naming this transformer, but let's say you decide that you really want to go go for it. You want to make this happen. What's the process? Where, where do you take it? What are you going to be doing yourself to make that a reality? So the first step in creating the man bear plane, I guess, would be <laughs> we'd have to convince people. And to convince people, you need 2D illustrations. So we'll we'll create just uh, concept art. You know, the moment that that happens or why it's cool or the, the scene I saw in my dream or whatever. And that could be a, concept, a digital painting, you know, that's created in, in Photoshop or something, uh, some medium in which we can translate the weirdness and coolness of it. Around the same time, we might create what's called the kit bash model, which is a really fun way of saying we take broken toys into our model shop and break them and glue them back together and spray paint them gray. And so I might, I, I literally sometimes I'll go to our shop and I'll cut up a bunch of old toys on the bandsaw and then I'll use the hot glue gun and I'll glue them back together and uh, hit them with, you know, gray primer and then glue a bunch of 
swords and stuff to them. And along with a piece of concept art, people understand it. And they're like, oh, I get it. So it's a bear that turns into a robot that turns into a plane. And then by, by showing that it's cool and not crazy, then you start to get people on board. Mm-hmm. At that point, we would meet with our partners from Takara Tomi, who are, like I mentioned at the beginning, they're the guys from Japan who really are the masters of understanding how the steps of conversion work in Transformers. So they would be able to kind of dissect my madcap idea and they'll say, well, you'll have to make his arms a little flatter to fit to become wings. Or And so they'll they'll create kind of like a, it's what's called a design control drawing. And it's it's like a, it's like a blueprint, but it's kind of like a very loosey goosey blueprint. And they'll, they'll dissect all the pieces of it and kind of pitch it back to us and say, so you mean like this? And then we we might actually go back and do some illustrations over top of that. And we'll be like, well, no, I was actually thinking it was more of an upright bear and not like a, you know, a teddy bear. So we would do some sketches, we get it back to them. And eventually we get to a place where they're starting to make like an actual functional model. And that this called, I guess, like gray model, it's a very uncomplicated name for it. <laughs> so we'll get a gray model and we'll get those typically because, you know, Japan works at night when we're sleeping. So that's their daytime is, is, is our nighttime. And we'll, I'll wake up in the morning and, and I'll check my phone and like there will be a video of my man bear <laughs> plane come to life and they'll be, it'll be spinning around a little turntable transforming, which is pretty cool. And at that point is usually when, when Lindsay kind of comes in with the penalty flag and says like, well, this is a really cool idea, guys. Well, let's take a big step back. There's no way you guys can do this for 30 bucks and we'll have to like <laughs> rethink it. And you know, and that's, that's usually what happens. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah. That's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, Lindsay, I want to hand the baton off to you. So you see the gray model of the man bear plane, and you have to explain what's why it's totally undoable and, and a harebrained scheme. What are you mentally looking at? What are you thinking about? What issues are you actually analyzing as the rep for the engineering team? Yeah, so at this point, you know, especially, you know, he's got a whole model already done, so that's <laughs> that's a lot for me. You know, I have a physical thing to look at. You know, I, I take it apart. I really see, you know, how much is this thing going to cost us? How much do we think this could sell for? Sometimes we'll take those models and do what we call fun labs, and we'll test them with kids to see how interested are they you know, are the parents interested in it? How much would the parents be willing to pay for it? That kind of stuff. And I can kind of get around what we're really expecting for this toy. You know, John sits right next to me. So he'll be like, oh, but it's really cool because of this thing. And, you know, he's he's making me, you know, on board with it as well. So I'm doing everything I can to make sure we can get this thing for the cost. And then we also have time constraints as well. So I try to make sure we get things done quickly. And anything that's manufactured, you know, that's all done overseas. So we really you know, have to get everyone on board in four different places. (laughs) So once we agree, okay, you know what, now this thing's doable. I've proven out that, you know, we can afford it. Parents are willing to pay X amount for it. Let's start developing this, you know? So we go to what we call our tool starts and we cut steel to run, you know, injected plastic through and we start doing first shots of the actual toy. It sounds like as the engineer voice, you're really in charge of figuring out the manufacturing process. Okay. How are we actually going to physically make it and how much is that going to cost? But then there's this other part that you're mentioning, which is 
what are people going to pay for this? And I wouldn't necessarily assume an engineer would be carefully involved in that aspect, but it sounds like you are. You're also, am I right to say it sounds like you're involved in sort of the market analysis? Yeah. So our marketing team handles the gist of it, but I advise them how much it's going to cost us to the bottom line and advise if we want to make X amount of money on this, then you would need to sell it for this. And that's where we kind of work together, right? Is this toy going to be profitable enough for us? Or do we think we have to sell it for cheaper? And that's kind of an open dialogue with marketing to until we come to an agreement. That's where we find our most, you know, disagreements is there. Me saying we need to make sure we hit the numbers from finance or, or whatever we need to hit on the, the product itself. And, uh, you know, marketing saying, well, we really only think we can sell it for this. And that's kind of. And then every now and then I'll come back and say, wait, 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 no, you, but you took out his sword. Come on. <laughs> so <laughs> so yes. wait, what is the sort of thing that drives up the cost of producing a transformer? That's actually very interesting question because um, like John was explaining, we work with our partners at Takaratomi. And through this very unique relationship we have with them, you know, that's gotten only better and better over the years, we actually work with them to do all of our costing as well. So it all goes through them. It's all based on, you know, how many parts are there, how many we call decoration operations uh, on the figure, how many spots can we paint, how complicated is it, right? John wants this to be 15 steps, but I'm telling him it can only be like, you know, 10 to 12, because that means there's more parts. You know, how big is the figure? Does it have a feature? Does it have accessories? What kind of packaging goes into this? Do we need instructions? You know, is there other messaging we need to try to get across that we're not doing right now? So I need to know probably every tiny little detail you could imagine about the toy that comes from all different teams, even the branding team. You know, I kind of have to make sure I know everything because if I don't know it, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, I mean, you're are you working, spending a lot of your day actually working on Photoshop or illustrating yourself? Yeah, some days I work on Illustrator and Photoshop quite a bit. You know, there's but then there's some days I'm just in meetings all day. <laughs> um, but there's also parts of the process where Lindsay will invite me back and be like, like later this afternoon, I have to check on some colors sort of things like, are these the right colors? And that's part of it is like the, the toy will leave me and then it'll sort of come back and it's, it's in these bonkers colors. And sometimes because VSPs are, they're just like these really random, hilarious colors. Like if, if the factory has like pink plastic, there'll be like a pink head, you know, lime green chest and stuff. And it's just really random looking, but then we have to test the joints and that's, then I come back in and, and I, I kind of work on that piece as well. But but yeah, I would say in the beginning, I do a lot of illustrating myself. Now as a manager, I do less of it. I think that it's, it's, it's sort of humbling to realize there's always somebody out there that can draw better than you. So I've forged great relationships of people who are just like, you know, really good at concept painting or really, really good at building 3D models. And once you sort of have a, a great group of people to work with, you can accomplish just so much more. And at what point do you guys like come up with a story for one of these toys? At what point do you think of the narrative for Man Bear Plane? <laughs> that's that's really the fun part. When we start to come up with a brand new idea for a story, it's very organic and it kind of looks like the inner workings of a crazy person. So there's there's a lot of cutout images on the wall. There's a lot of like little bits of string that are kind of connecting different ideas. There's like words stuck to a wall. A lot of it is like influences and influence boards, mood, texture, tone. Like so when we were starting the War for Cybertron series, which is our new 
group of products, we had like a bunch of video game images on the wall, a lot of, a lot of different types of concept art. And, you know, it was all kind of connected with a little piece of string that kind of like was the through line. And I kind of was, was trying to find a common meaning and I would bring all different types of people into my office to convince them my crazy idea. And eventually you get a coalition of people that all believe in your crazy idea. And then you're presenting it, you're lacing it together with a story. And then you, you, you know, once you start to build your coalition, you have, you have writers, you have uh, people who are, are branding visual people, you bring an engineering team to see if it's possible. And that's how it all happens. It all starts with kind of like a crazy idea that's all loosely taped to the wall. I almost feel like I know the answer to this question already, given that you dream about Transformers, but how, how steeped in the lore of these toys and the movies and all the old cartoons do you have to be in order to create a new one? How much Transformers canon do you personally have to know? <laughs> I have uh, a reputation as being the biggest Transformers geek in the building, maybe. So I get pulled into all sorts of wacky places. Like people will just call me and like, hey, John, we need to know, is this character actually one of the 13 gods of Cybertron? And if so, are they still alive in canon? And so I'll have to like on the spot, no, they're not. They're technically part of Cybertron or whatever. And it actually helps because when you craft these new stories, you're able to fall back on the stories that everybody kind of knows. And I think part of my job is really to understand what that assumption is. And I think a, a brand as big and huge and awesome as Transformers has 35 years of incredible storytelling. And there's all different generations of fans that are into it. You have the 80s kids like me that are into G, what's called G1. Or you have the 90s kids that are into Beast Wars. Or the 2000s people that are into, you know, the Armada or, or the movies. And all of these things kind of lace together in a really beautiful way. And I think part of what we do isn't just creating toys, but it's also kind of building on that wonderful nostalgia and the promise for what's to come next. Lindsay, are you as deep into the lore? Uh, I myself am a little bit less into the lore. I personally go to John for everything because he sits right next to me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, fortunately, I do have uh, one or two members on my team that played with it growing up. Um, you know, if I ever have questions, I go to them. I find it fascinating when John's pitching a story because, you know, now that I know some of the story, I can potentially come up with, you know, some cool way to express that with him and we can kind of work together. But I am less involved in the lore. I did not have Transformers growing up. so. And most of the toys are, where, where do you guys manufacture most of them? So right now we do a mix of China, you know, Hasbro, China, India, Vietnam, and even actually others that I'm probably not even thinking of at the moment. But Transformers primarily we do in Vietnam. Do you have to travel over to Vietnam a lot to, you know, see the factory and talk to them about actually the production process? I personally do not. Luckily, we have an amazing team over in Hong Kong called our, our Hasbro Far East Partners, and they handle a lot of that communication with the factory themselves. They do a lot of, we do a lot of video conferences, we do a lot of, you know, overnight emails, <laughs> That kind of stuff, videos back and forth. Here's what the toy is doing. Is this okay? No, we need to change this part to make it do what we needed to do. We rely on them pretty heavily to do the grunt work because they're right over there. It's striking how international like this process is. Like That really is bouncing back and forth between Asia and you guys here in the States. Yeah, it's actually pretty amazing. It's one of the things I really enjoy about my job because I feel like we're working 24-7, right? Stuff's always getting done. I send my things for, you know, need to get done from our, our Far East partners overnight. And in the morning, it's all there, right? So we actually get things done a lot quicker. We are communicating really well. Um, 
And, and part of what I do in my role too is, you know, I manage a team of people. So I focus a lot on how can we communicate better? How can we do this more efficiently? How do we have systems, especially between two entirely different toy companies, you know, that make what we do easier and, you know, having two offices in Hong Kong and then one in Japan and one here, it provides a lot of challenges that we've definitely overcome. But I think what the coolest thing about being able to have a huge global coalition is you get all different kinds of diverse viewpoints. And I think really diversity is one of the coolest things to be able to work on a brand like this. Because when you're designing something as zany as a transformer, it requires all different types of ways of looking at things. And uh, when you look at a puzzle, one of these things, you know, might have, you know, 30 steps or 40 steps. It's always good to get a fresh set of eyes. And I think being able to have people look at it, they come from another culture. It's actually kind of an awesome part of what we do. Is there a transformer that you guys have wanted to make and it just was not possible for some reason? Yeah, that's interesting because we're, we're really in the business of making the impossible possible, like the like the man bear plane yeah. transformer would be. <laughs> it's completely possible under the under the guise of transformers. But I think what's exciting is that we're actually starting a new project that's so big that even Takara and Hasbro, we never thought we would be able to make it. It all goes back to this, uh, the 1986 Transformers movie. There's this huge planet transformer called Unicron. When you watch that movie, it's it's a transformer that literally turns into a planet. Wait, wait, that's not the one that was voiced by Orson Welles, was it? Almost definitely was, yeah. Oh, that yeah, was... The, the late, great Orson Welles. That's... <laughs> the role he was proud of stuff. <laughs> I, I like to think so, sure. And what's crazy about that movie is it's it's one of those, like, impossible things. You, know, you see Unicron drifting through space, and he's devouring planets, and has a booming voice, and, and people are battling literally inside of his head. And Galvatron gets punched out and flies out of his eye. So you never think you'd be able to make it a Transformer as big as Unicron. So we took the challenge on. We're like, let's figure out how to do it. You know, I was working with the people at Takaratomi and the great engineers here and, and all the great marketing people. And we, in the past 18 months, we figure out how to do it. And that's the good news. The One of the things that's a bit of a challenge is, is how physically big he is. He's 27 inches tall. He ended up being 30 inches in diameter and almost 20 pounds. So he's 19 pound transformer, which makes him arguably toddler sized. <laughs> so, so you can only imagine the level of challenge that comes along with engineering something that ginormous. You know, he's, he's got a lot of moving pieces because it turns into a sphere, which is tricky to engineer in the first place. But the cost as well, you know, it's, it's an expensive transformer. It's going to end up being $575. So we're crowdfunding it through our HasLab uh, effort on HasproPulse.com. So it's, it's uh, one of those things that we're going to try to make a reality fans. So it's, it, to me, it's really amazing that we're able to use like a platform like this to actually make something as big as Unicron. It's crazy. So the fans are going to kind of like pre-fund a 20-pound Transformer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are. It's 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 doing great. It's exciting. And Lindsay, you're involved in, in this project too, right? Yes. Yes, I am involved. What he's describing sounds like a nightmare for the industrial engineer. I mean, so like how much of a challenge is something like that for you where you have to figure out how to actually build this thing in a factory? So this project itself has been moved around a little bit, but our team actually has had a very challenging time figuring out the biggest thing, how can we afford this? 
How are we going to ship this to people? How is it going to pass our testing? Right. Those are the big things that we worry about and, and we've found a way to do it. Uh, <laughs> but it's been definitely a struggle. We've started working on that. When did we start? It was eight, 18 months 18 ago. 18 months ago. Oh, John has this prepared. Right? <laughs> 18 months ago, we started working on it and we're just getting to the point where we can start, you know, potentially if we get crowdfunded, you know, make this into something real. So it's just a very long, tedious process, but we're really excited to make it something real. Like John's saying, it sounded like something impossible when we first talked about it, but it's here. It's something. It's actually happening. (laughs) It's interesting to think this is like your only only chance to make a giant toddler-sized transformer that in the movies was voiced by Orson Welles. (laughs) (laughs) God, let let it happen. (laughs) Guys, thank you for taking some time to talk with me. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, I hope one day I get to see the man bear plane. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I, hope, I hope so too, Jordan. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. That is it for this week's episode of Working. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. And if you've got questions or comments, please send me an email at working at slate.com. Again, that's working at slate.com. A special thank you to Justin D. Wright for the ad music. Working is produced by Jessamyn Molly. I'm Jordan Weissman. Catch us next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.